0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the first ever episode of Quick Cuts, a plastic surgery podcast. Today's topic is cleft palate, and I'm excited to get started, so let's jump right in. We'll start things off with the relevant anatomy. The palate can be divided into the primary and secondary palate. The primary palate, or premaxilla, consists of the portion of the hard palate that lies anterior to the incisive foramen, the secondary palate lies posterior to the incisive foramen and can be further divided into its hard palate and soft palate components. The anterior portion of the secondary palate is the hard palate, and the posterior portion is the soft palate. The soft palate, or velum, consists of five sets of paired muscles which you should know. These include the levator veli palatini, tensor veli palatini, palatoglossus, palatopharyngeus, and muscularis uvuli. In a cleft, abnormal positioning and insertion of these muscles prevents normal palatal motion. In order to understand how clefts occur, we need to understand the embryology of palatal development. I know a lot of us find embryology to be a dry subject, but bear with me because it is important for understanding cleft palates. The palate develops in weeks 4 through 10, and in normal development, the primary palate develops through fusion of the medial-nasal prominences. If the medial-nasal prominences on either side fail to fuse with the maxillary prominence on the corresponding side, unilateral or bilateral cleft lip, with or without cleft of the anterior palate, can occur. The secondary palate develops more posteriorly, through fusion of the lateral palatine shelves of the maxillary prominences. Clefts of the secondary palate occur when these lateral palatine shelves fail to fuse. Next, we'll talk about evaluation and management of the cleft patient. In general, cleft palate management requires a multidisciplinary team approach. On initial evaluation, Important considerations in the history should include any medical comorbidities that may signal syndromic associations or a need for genetic testing. Another similar consideration would be any history of craniofacial anomalies in family members. You should also assess the patient's ability to feed and their growth history. Oftentimes, because of the cleft palate, the patients will have poor suck and require specialized feeding bottles, like a Haberman device. And finally, you should assess the patient's hearing and ask about any history of ear infections, as cleft palates disturb normal eustachian tube function. In your exam, you should have a consistent system for describing clefts. There are multiple ways of classifying cleft palates, however the Vo classification is one of the most common and one that I find relatively simple to conceptualize. It divides clefts into four different categories. Vo 1 is a cleft of the soft palate only. Vo 2 involves cleft of both the soft and hard palate, but is entirely within the secondary palate. VO3 is a complete unilateral cleft extending through the primary palate and alveolus, and VO4 is a complete bilateral cleft. You should also be able to identify a submucous cleft palate. A submucous cleft describes a cleft in which the mucosa is intact, however there remains a defect of the underlying musculature and bone. Three exam findings can signal a submucous cleft and include a bifid uvula, notching of the posterior hard palate, and thinning of the mucosa overlying the midline defect which creates a thin, pale line referred to as a zona pellucida. It's important to understand that the primary reason we repair cleft palates is to allow normal speech development. Limiting oronasal regurgitation with feeding is a secondary benefit to the repair. Cleft palate repair, otherwise known as palatoplasty, is commonly performed at 9-12 to 12 months. The rationale for this timing is that it's early enough to allow for normal speech development, but also late enough to minimize any adverse effects on maxillary growth. There are various surgical techniques that have been described for palate repair but the fundamental goals of surgery are to achieve a tension-free closure of the oral and nasal mucosa as well as to functionally reposition the palate muscles allowing for a more normal movement of the palate there are a lot of eponyms that have been used to describe the repair techniques but to keep things simple we'll avoid using the names and stick to describing what's involved in the most commonly used techniques repair of the hard and soft palate are generally performed together but I think they're easier to conceptualize as separate procedures. Repair of the oral and nasal mucosa of the hard palate can be performed by mobilizing unipedicled or bipedicled mucoperiosteal flaps and centralizing them to bridge the defect, with the important vascular pedicle to remember here being the greater palatine artery. Mucoperiosteal flaps off of the vomer can also be recruited to supplement the nasal lining closure, if needed. In the soft palate, in addition to closing the oral and nasal mucosa, Repair involves dissecting the muscles of the soft palate off of their abnormal insertions and repositioning them in a more normal anatomic position, which allows for more normal movement. This is referred to as an intravelar veloplasty. Another consideration in the surgical repair of clefts is that cleft palates are also often short in the anterior-posterior dimension. This can allow abnormal air escape during speech in what's known as velopharyngeal insufficiency, or VPI. In order to address this deficient length, many surgeons incorporate double-opposing Z-plasties into their soft palate repair to both provide increased length while simultaneously repositioning the palate muscles. Postoperative management of cleft patients should include continuous pulse oximetry for airway monitoring, elbow immobilizers to keep the patient's hands out of their mouth, and a soft diet. In regards to postoperative complications, in the immediate setting, you should be on the lookout for airway compromise secondary to edema or bleeding, You can help to prevent these complications with the use of a tongue stitch or a nasopharyngeal airway. A more delayed complication is palatal fistula formation. If small or asymptomatic, these can be observed, and if symptomatic, these will generally require surgical repair. Okay, and that is a wrap for episode one of Quick Cuts. If you have questions, comments, feedback, or requests for future episodes, please email me at jakemarksmd at gmail.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter at jakemarksmd. See you next time.